in autumn by Wacław sieroszewski translated by elza c m benecke this is a librivox recording recorded by piotr Natter. all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. in autumn the rain and bad weather which had continued without interruption for several days had kept the inhabitants of the hut talaki prisoners indoors and condemned them to idleness they constantly went out of the room to gaze long and sadly at the weeping sky for the hay was rotting in the fields but alas a grey film of rain hung over all the surrounding country and in vain their eyes sought longingly for the smallest chink of blue in the heavy dark clouds to add to the misfortune the rain not content with the holes left in the roof from the year before made a number of fresh ones it thus poured into the room from all sides on to the people's heads and shoulders and formed quite a deep and ever-growing pool underfoot various forms of filth remains of food refuse of fish and game the dung in the corner where the calves were kept which had been trodden down and had dried in the course of the year became moist and filled the interior of the yurta with an unbearable smell it was therefore stuffy cold and damp there the fire burning rather slowly was choked by balls of grey smoke which went across the room the hut was tiny it occupied no more than twenty-four square yards of the solitude surrounding it the slanting walls made of barked large trees placed perpendicularly and narrowing towards the top diminished its size still more the flat roof was built of rafters of the same wood and came down so close to the inhabitants heads that one of them michavo a big lad while unwinding a bundle of nets at the little window hit his curly shock head against it a plank partition hewn out with a hatchet ran through the centre of the room and divided it into equal parts the right being for the men the left for the women by a post at the end of the room with his face turned towards the fire his hands on his right knee and smoking a pipe sat my host kirsa a yakut still hale though no longer young he was the wealthy and independent master of field labourers and the owner of the house of many nets animals and implements as well as of the three women a wife and two daughters the youngest was sold already but she was living with her father as the sum agreed upon for her had not yet been paid in full by the buyer there was deep silence in the room a rather unusual thing in a place where several yakut people are together the fire roared and hissed in the chimney and behind the partition the girls made a squeaking sound as they rubbed the skin together i had a foreboding that this silence would end badly indeed the storm soon broke out the lad nicknamed Schmata, brought it on by his incompetence after wandering from corner to corner all day he now upset a bucket and spilled the water this was the last straw all eyes flashed and faces grew pale the frightened Schmata tried to lay the blame on michiavo who had been stooping down near him to look for a strap michiavo in revenge reminded Schmata of what had happened about the rake the year before the quarrel had begun in earnest their tongues moving with the speed of a windmill and throwing out invectives and sneers formed an accompaniment to the host's threatening shouts 
which rang out like a trump of the archangel nor did our hostess fail to leave her seclusion to take part in the skirmish with the excitement peculiar to women all the world over the yurta suddenly became like a disturbed beehive the host affirmed the hostess denied the labourers hurled abuses at one another the girls uttered war-cries the baby woke up and screamed in its cradle and the calves lowed in answer to the loud mooing of the cows whom evening had driven near the house door this last occurrence had a perceptible influence in diminishing the noise for it caused the female element to withdraw from the fight in fact the disturbance might have been conjured away completely if the happy thought of adding something at the very moment when everyone else was quieting down had not entered our host's head this remark burst out unexpectedly like a belated bomb after a battle and produced such a din that the cows and calves were silent the wind abated in fright the clouds fled and i became aware of a golden sunbeam penetrating the holes in the bladder at the window and falling suddenly into the interior of our dark dirty noisy hovel merrily and brightly it rested in a shining circle on the closely cropped grey head of my host before whose nose his wife's large closed fist was hovering at the moment that's for you take that go on quimis cried still beautiful in her anger the fists came closer and closer to her unfortunate man's mouth what happened further did kersa avenge himself like a man for that greatest of all insults possible to a yakut from a woman or did he show himself to be the quote unquote, wife of his wife an old woman and a simpleton as the neighbors called him and refrain from knocking out the teeth or breaking the ribs of the active woman by whose work he lived and had grown rich i do not know because foreseeing the overthrow of my friend in whom love for his wife was always struggling against a sense of duty and not wishing to be a witness of his defeat i shouldered my gun and went out of the cottage the wind had dropped the covering of clouds was torn open and bits of pale blue sky were unveiled here and there the sun peeped out suddenly through one of these little gaps and the landscape which had been dreary and joyless a moment before brightened into a golden splendour a light shadow half cheerful half sombre fell across its faded autumn foliage and in this half smile it resembled a forsaken woman to whom the caprice of a lover who has already grown cold offers a moment of tenderness and happiness again drops of rain glistened like brilliants on the dark branches of trees and bushes the sky was colored in shades of carmine and the pearly tears of the passing storm trembled on the willows still swaying from it before me between two high promontories overgrown by woods which ran in opposite directions sparkled the surface of the lake in proportion as it stretched into the distance its bank became more winding lower and mistier until it disappeared at the outlet of a gorge owing to the distance the tall thin larches the thick willows bushes and grass growing there looked quite small but the rays of the sunset falling on them from behind produced a wonderful lacework of dark branches and leaves against a pale rose sky gray clouds hung above them heavily embroidered with gold and purple the waves sported and chased one another below on the foam-splashed banks of the lake which was painted with colors from the sky 
i walked towards the gorge by the footpath leading through a meadow which was now turning yellow that demon forest looked dark and horrible close at hand the flat hills uniformly covered with soft moss of a dirty green and with cranberry leaves undulated gently westwards towards the sinking sun the wood covering these hills was sparse and stunted and disfigured them rather than otherwise for single trees stood out here and there like the remaining hair on a bald man's head silence and the gloom of oncoming night already filled the interior of the forest only here and there a forgotten ray of sunshine was burning itself out above in the bare wind-twisted summits of the larches i stood for a moment looking at that wild spot which no native would have dared to approach a deep stillness lay upon it the waves beat more and more gently and noiselessly the sunset was fading away and only where the network of bushes was less close a transient gleam lighted the surface of some lakes which had hitherto been unknown to me i walked on towards them impelled by curiosity and a feeling of longing the way proved more difficult than i had expected at every moment i was obliged to jump or climb over bushes and avoid the deep narrow wells bordered round with tree trunks felled a hundred years before and perfidiously concealed by the mosses and plants overgrowing them as these wells were full of water with bottoms as slippery as ice an unwary pedestrian could easily break his neck or fracture a leg by falling into them in many places swampy streaks trickled along undefined channels and though their banks were shallow they were boggy and difficult to cross on account of the trunks and branches lying in them the wood was full of trees with projecting mud-covered roots which now when everything was assuming an indefinite shape in the twilight looked twisted and monstrous the white patches of lichen shining in the darkness at the foot of the trees like the immense shreds of a pole emphasized and doubled their weird appearance it is therefore no wonder that in the purple light of dawn or in the moonlight the natives should here see the tall wood demon's pale face the slav hunter who came from the south and now roams near the yakut cottages injuring cattle woe to the district where his shadow passes often from fifty to two hundred beasts fall dead at one shot from those terrible southern arms that evening however i met none of these inhabitants of the wood i also did not see the demons the dry tungus corpses at one time they were to be found here quite frequently and the forest takes its name from them shrivelled and horrible they usually sit somewhere under a tree or cleft in a rock gazing eastwards with eye-sockets pecked by the birds on their knees they hold a wooden bow or a rifle at their feet lies a hatchet with a broken handle and at their belt inlaid with silver and beads hangs a broken knife in its sheath also broken in order to prevent the dead man from doing any mischief after death a little to one side lie scattered the bones of the reindeer killed on his grave the harness and the small tungus sledge no one ever dares to possess himself of any of these considerably valuable articles for punishment threatens the foolhardy inasmuch as he loses his way all day long until he returns to the same place and restores the stolen object 
until they give ample satisfaction and atone to the angered owner of the gift, obstinate people return some thirty, even a hundred times, without being able to escape from the magic circle. It is dangerous even to touch any of the things belonging to the dead man, since that evokes a storm, or at best a high wind. Although the kindly natives had advised me to avoid meeting with the demon, since it brings early and sometimes immediate death, I was very sorry not to have seized him red-handed that evening. However, I came to be severely punished for that sinful wish. The twilight deepened. The last purple resplendence had already faded from the sunset. When tired and tattered, I at last succeeded in pushing my way through the bushes of the demon's forest. The sky was dark and twinkling with myriads of stars. My expedition had failed in every respect. To complete the misfortune, the white mists hung like muslin over the valley and entirely prevented me from satisfying my curiosity. I was therefore only able to take pleasure in the play of the moonlight. It was really a beautiful view, although rather wild and gloomy. Nearly the whole of the broad valley, to the very edge of the wood, where the dark, bare treetops projected beyond the border of mist, was filled by white balls of vapour. The moon was moving slowly above them. Looking for a moment into the depths of the valley, she drew aside the floating veil and touched the sleeping lake below with her silvery kiss. I stood a long while to gaze and to rest. The deep silence, the stillness which always reigns in these woods, the knowledge that no one but myself was to be found in that solitude for twenty versts round filled me with a strange feeling of anxiety and longing. I roused myself in order to dispel this. It was unfortunately time to think of returning. No easy matter, however, for in making my way through the wood I had lost a clear conception of the right track. At last I hit on a small footpath, and decided to follow it in the hope that it would lead me to some inhabited spot. I had scarcely gone twenty steps before becoming persuaded that I was not walking on a path, but on one of the numerous tracks made in the wood by water or animals. It was therefore necessary to return to the place from which I had started, for only thence could I more or less trace the way leading in a bee-line through the wood. But the place had disappeared, the night had shrouded it in new and different shadows, and the mist had drawn its silver web across it. I walked for some time, searching in vain, and haunted by the thought of forest madness. I had seen people brought home from the taiga, no longer in possession of their faculties, pale and miserable, and with the traces of terror and madness in their eyes. These unhappy men had often lost their way quite near houses, without seeing them or being able to recognize the points of the compass. Although the sun was shining, and they had wandered about, crying and howling like wild animals, after recovering they said that they had seen the demons. One of the causes of this illness is the fatigue brought on by the strain of the vain search. So I sat down on a felt trunk, resolving to wait for daybreak. The air was cool. My clothes were wet with the mist and rain, besides being too thin for spending the night in the wood, so that I soon began to suffer from the cold. I tried to light a fire, but the matches were damp, and the only one which burned could not set fire to the moist brushwood and logs. Having therefore gathered some grass, I hid my feet in it, as they were suffering the most from the cold. 
I examined my gun and loaded it, and then, crouching against a tree, I tried to go to sleep. In a situation of this kind every sense is rapidly dulled. Touch, smell, even sight, hearing alone becomes exceedingly acute. After only a few minutes I could hear my heart beating, the blood pouring through my veins, the whisper of the trees, the rustle of the mist, so that the dead silence of the wood was broken in upon by sounds, which, though scarcely audible, continued to increase. Suddenly a very real sound rang out amid these fancied ones, and forced me to open my eyes. It came from the further end of the lake, and was like the measured strokes of an oar. I fixed my eyes on the spot whence it seemed to come. The veil of mist was trembling slightly, and beyond it, in the distance, something indistinct appeared low on the water. After a moment a small yakut pirogue emerged from the shadows and sped along the lake. I could perfectly well see the rower squatting in the bottom of the boat and striking first with one, then with the other blade of his long oar, from the ends of which the water poured in a shining stream, like molten silver. He soon approached the bank and drew the boat to land. I crept towards him, hiding in order that he should not see me too soon and run away, as I knew he would. He was engaged in taking something out of the boat. What news? I greeted him, according to the local custom, coming slowly out of the bushes. He started and exclaimed, but did not run away, for he recognized me and I him. He was a poor Yakut who lived about five versts from me. I know nothing, I have heard nothing. Oh, how you did frighten me! But it's all right, he said hastily, giving me his hand. What did you think it was? Why should one meet a man in the wood at night-time? he answered evasively, eyeing me suspiciously from head to foot. You often think it's a man you know, and you talk to him as if you knew him, and then it turns out in the end not to be a man at all. What are you doing here so late? I am going home. It's a holiday tomorrow. I have a long way to go from here to Babylon for fishing. Thirty versts. Note. A large lake to the northeast of the Kolinsk district. End of note. You know we're poor folk. We live by fishing. We haven't any horses, so one is always in a boat. Always in a boat. As I was dragging it through the wood, I cut my foot. So I've got behindhand. You have cut your foot? It isn't much, for I've stopped the bleeding. Then perhaps it was you whistling and calling? I asked, remembering a strange sound I had heard a moment before. I No. He was silent, and I noticed him lean over the boat and cross himself. And what are you doing here? He asked in his turn. I hesitated. Looking for ducks, I lied, not wishing to frighten him more. Ducks, he repeated, laughing heartily and his white teeth shone in the darkness like pearls. There have never been any ducks here. Never been any? Why? I asked, as I helped him to draw the boat along the edge of the wood towards the lake, which could be seen in the distance. The fisherman was limping. The lakes are different, he exclaimed, and there are as many lakes in our country as stars in the sky, and the stars are only the reflection of them. The lakes are as different as the stars. There are large and small ones, and some so deep that you can't reach the bottom, or else they are shallow or marshy. In one there are fine fish, in another small. In some the water's bad and makes a man ill, because the cattle go into it. In others again it's as pure as air. 
we halted on the bank let down the boat into the water and entered it the fishermen in front i behind leaning lightly against one another back to back we sailed along like a god with two faces of which one was bearded and european the other flat clean-shaven and mongolian the mongolian face continued its conversation only interrupting it now and then to give me a warning not to move when the boat rocked too much everything comes from the water even the cow lived in the water until she was taken and tamed by men there are different kinds of wild beasts and even people living in the water as there are on land now just look and he pointed with his oar to the long water weeds swaying under the passage of the pirogue isn't that a wood it was indeed a wood dark and mysterious visited only by fishes and drowned men once he had fallen in no swimmer ever extricated himself from its tickets old people say the yakut continued that formerly everything was different everything was better because there was more water and that even the sables used to come up to the farm gates and there was so much fish that it was enough to shoot an arrow into the lake to draw it back with a good catch but now there is nothing the sables have run away and there isn't much fish it's only the traders our fathers who save us or we should die they give the money to pay the taxes they give tea tobacco and cotton ah yes these traders i'd just like to be a trader the little boat struck the bank we therefore drew it along to the next lake and continued the rest of our journey in this manner this being the sole means of travelling in summer in that country of lakes marshes and swampy woods after travelling thus for an hour along a narrow stream overgrown with bulrushes we ultimately arrived at the last lake the sparks from a yurta chimney were glittering on its bank in the distance like tiny red stars i expect you are going to chachak my companion asked when we stopped on the bank i am spending the night there i took up some of the fishermen's things and walked towards the yurta i had known chachak for some time past already he was a queer man who laughed at his own extravagances and frequently even shocked the feeling of the neighbourhood chachak has made himself a cap of a whole walled skin i had been told laughingly chachak has paid the merchants only two roubles for a brick of tea they would make too much profit by three roubles he said what about the merchants did they give it to him eh why his old woman gave it to them on the sly why you don't know chachak he won't give three roubles he won't drink and he won't give that chachak had been famous in his youth as the best hunter in the district and wonders were related of his prowess and skill he preferred bear hunting to any other and set out to it summer and winter with his spear and gun killing in the open field or lair just as it happened he was as ready for such encounters as he was for cards only let him hear of a bear and from that moment he had no peace until he had tracked and killed it many a time he had been invited to accompany hunters who had found a den with several bears but burning with the fever for the chase he had been unable to wait until morning and had slipped away in the grey dawn with his faithful dog to hasten to the spot where he was usually to be found pale and splashed with the blood of the quote unquote, forest lords there was nothing left for his companions to do but for each to eat a portion of the hard heart and liver of the vanquished and to drink a cup of blood shouting the triumphant uch three times all eyes would be upon chachak 
who would try to appear indifferent although excited and feeling the just pride of a hero once moreover he had killed a bear with a tail which as everyone knows is not a bear but a devil had he not killed the quote-unquote icy demon who tracked people carried off cattle and whom neither bullet nor spear could touch chachak himself never spoke or boasted of his victories he was always modest and reserved as befits a man who possibly knows more than others since the accident which befell him during his last hunt however he had been completely changed he had given up hunting and playing cards become poor and grown morose and strange he had lost his influence his yurta stood near the bank so i quickly found himself at his gate a bright fire was burning within and voices could be heard talking so they were not asleep yet i went up to the door and peeped through the chink chachak was sitting before the fire with his face towards me holding a net which he was not winding for his hand was stretched slightly in front of him while he related something to the listeners gathered round him at his feet a small naked child played with the brass chain of a knife hanging in a wooden sheath soon to his leather trousers above the right shin chachak was very animated every now and then he bent forward towards his listeners and stamped his massive heel on the clay floor of the cottage they have a horror of horseflesh and eat pigs he was saying yet a horse is a very clean and sensible animal why yes his listeners assented but pigs i have seen them they are disgusting they've no hair they are bare dirty stupid and bad-tempered they've enormous mouths thin curling tails like snakes small eyes and teeth like a dog's they are spiteful too when i was at yakutsk i had an adventure with the pigs and they all but ate me there are lots of them there i had gone out by myself in the early morning to finish my pipe in the passage everyone was still asleep and it had only just begun to dawn the pigs were going round the courtyard squealing i was young and liked a joke so when they ran round me i shook my fist at them they rushed at me like mad he broke off with a laugh i ran along the passage they after me i jumped on to a bench and they came grunting round me while i kept shaking my fist at them <laughs> he spat into his hand and stretched it out before him suddenly the door creaked the woman exclaimed the lads jumped up from the floor the children began to cry who's coming a russian perhaps and pigs with him chachak stopped talking and drew back his outstretched fist the entrance as is usual in a yakut yurta was behind the fireplace the one source of light in the evening thus a full minute of fear and anxious expectation passed before i entered from the darkness yes it was a russian but a well-known one a friend and into the bargain without pigs their faces brightened and they stretched out their hands welcoming me warmly and frankly as guests always are welcomed in the north chachak laughed made room for me on the bench before the fire and ordered the kettle to be put on tell us the news and what is happening they begged me i began to relate the local news they all listened attentively although as it turned out they had already long known it the companion of my night journey entered and the conversation became general the men grouped themselves round the table on which chachak's wife had set supper for us freshly made soup some milk and a large pile of fish dried and smoked chachak stood at the fire warming his back and did not join in the conversation 
his daughter, a young and rather pretty girl, placed a few white china teacups and saucers on the table, and the usual Yakut entertainment began. Tea with milk and cold refreshments, followed later by a hot supper with fish. Although the offer of meat was very tempting, and we were rather hungry, we were not equal to tasting all the dishes set before us. Chachak noticed this at once, and attacked me about it with his wonted brusqueness. "'You aren't eating. You've had enough? What's this new fashion of going to pay visits without being hungry? You slavs eat like birds when you go to people's houses, but you go home and call out, "'Wife, the samovar! Put the saucepan on the fire. I'm hungry. You're disgraceful.' They all began to laugh, the old man no less than the rest. A general conversation was started, at first about different countries and customs, but soon reverting to burning local questions. "'What's wrong with Andre? He's in trouble. There's no trace of his boy.' "'None? A pity. He was a sturdy lad.' "'Have they found nothing?' "'No. All the neighbors have been out to search. They've searched the lakes. They've searched the wood. They've been searching for a whole week.' But there is nothing, nothing. Ah, sure to be a bear. They say one appeared in the valley. Kecherges saw him, muttered the fisherman who had arrived with me. At the word bear, Chachak, who was standing by the fires, silently playing with his fingers, suddenly looked up. Everyone stopped talking and involuntarily turned towards him. His old wife nervously tried to change the subject. A bear? Where was he seen? Chachak asked quietly in a low tone, sitting down on the bench. "'Ah, uh, who can tell? Perhaps it wasn't one either,' the fisherman answered hesitatingly. "'A bear. Depend upon it,' Chachak said slowly. "'They have found neither flesh nor clothes. He usually buries the remains of prey in the ground. He even scrapes the blood off. That's just what he does. You say Kerchegas saw him?' he again asked the fisherman. "'Lies.' the latter answered evasively. Oh, he's clever, he's sly and revengeful. Andre must have done something to him in order to be able to boast of it, or to have something to talk about. He remembers insults a long time, that's why he has carried the boy off. Although he lives far away, he hears in the mountains and forest quite well what we are saying here, and understands like a man, better than a man. Who knows what he is? skin him and you will see how like a woman he is but he's revengeful and terribly fierce chachak added looking down he doesn't forgive you russian he turned to me suddenly be ready for him on the road take care take care though a bear is big he can go as quietly as a shadow when he wants to fall upon a man unawares i advise you to stay the night with us there's no joking with him once i was not afraid either but now there look he undid his shirt sleeve it was a terrible sight the left shoulder which as i had previously noticed the old man could make little use of was shrunk and thin to the elbow like a mere bone covered with skin and those veins and muscles which were unscathed wound round the bone close to the surface there was a mass of white scars crossing in different directions i have killed many many he continued, and now I know that they will eat me for it, eat me because I'm afraid. It happened like this. It was rather later in the season than this. It was freezing. I got ready my spring gun for elk shooting, and God gave me one of these big beasts. 
to have carted its flesh skin and inside along a bad road would have needed seven or eight horses so i decided to build a larder on the spot and to lay the elk in it for a time till the road became frozen i and my boy set out early to work the lad was lingering a little way behind me and i was walking quite quietly along the road and had just passed the willow which grows on the hill not far from here when he came upon me he ran towards me like a dog and before i could look round he was already standing on its hind legs i reached out for my knife but tried in vain to drag it from the sheath there was a night frost and on coming out of the house i had not wiped my knife as i should after eating so it had frozen to the sheath it was god's hand so the black one knocked me down finding myself overpowered i seized him by the throat with my right hand and laid the left on his jaws and called to the boy to run for help the silly boy jumped on him and whack went his pocket knife into the bear he had a little knife that size and chachak measured with his finger you want to eat my father he shouted the black one was frightened and jumped into the bushes but the boy had hit me in the chest with his knife and i should have been killed had it been able to pierce the stag's hide they could scarcely bring me round again and you see from that time when he sitting on me looked into my eyes my mind has been troubled i am afraid he added quietly very much afraid not long after i took leave of my kind hosts and went home the moon was shining brightly the mist had disappeared and the well-known footpath shone wide before me i had gone along it a thousand times without fear or thought of evil but this time when i neared the place where chachak had been attacked i involuntarily fingered my knife-handle and for a moment i seemed to see the monster lying in the shadow of the bushes its shaggy muzzle on its outstretched paws a few years later i heard that chachak had disappeared without trace in the wood the forest lords had doubtless accomplished their revenge end of in autumn by vacław sieroszewski